Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 189 with Ron Stodd's Josh Vesley. This is a powerful one because we have a senior executive with an interesting vantage point sharing all kinds of insider perspectives that you, I think, will want to know when it comes to the whole world of labor and opportunities and recruitment and positions, all that good stuff. We get into a good dose of it. So you're going to learn one. How today's labor market is superlatively favorable to good talent. Two, why you should boldly ask your boss for your favorite opportunities. And three, how to find and leverage a recruiter in your job search. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items referenced here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep189. Now, here's Josh's story. Josh Vesley, MBA, is a talent chef and senior vice president of talent solutions at Ronstad USA. He's an energy-giving partner and a powerful negotiator. With his positive attitude, he boldly develops new concepts and contributes to an innovative market approach. Now, here's Josh. Josh, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much. Can you tell us a little bit about your nickname or that you call yourself Talent Chef? What's this about? Yeah, it's a recent uh, talent or a recent name that I, I came across. So I was talking to somebody and, and uh, you might know this from our previous discussions, but uh, we acquired Monster not too long ago. And um, and uh, we, we've been doing a lot of collaboration with Google and and uh, and. Google for Jobs is this new platform that they've designed. And instead of just taking a one-size, a one-size-fits-all approach to, um, you know, to finding a job or uh, to, to, you know, mapping out your career, what Google uh, for Jobs is doing, what Monster is doing is taking a whole bunch of different ingredients. So culture and salary and benefits and just all these different reviews and information that's out there and putting it into a place where, uh, individuals can see that they can contribute to that material and, and hopefully it helps people make better, um, decisions on where they want to go work. And so I thought about that and, and, um, and a lot of what I do in working with companies is putting together the different ingredients, the different flavors of what makes them a great place to work. Um, and then, uh, putting that in a, in a format that allows the, the world to see it. So, I really just feel like whether it's uh, it's your own career and you need different experiences and levels and uh, and lengths of time within different organizations. Uh, the same is said for organizations when they're approaching uh, how to make the best talent decisions of who comes to work for them. So it takes a whole bunch of different ingredients to make the best uh, the best recipe, if you will. Understood. Understood. And you do this frequently in your role. Can you give us just a quick background on what's Ronstad USA, the company, and your role as the senior vice president of Talent Solutions all about? Just to orient quickly there. Sure. Uh, so what is Ronstad USA? So um, we have been historically known as a staffing company, which I think is how most uh, individuals would probably categorize us if they were put on the spot. 
what I would say is we are the largest talent delivery engine um, in the world, uh, not only in the U.S., but um, so what that means to me is we have access to the most candidates across a diverse spectrum of skill sets, everything from manufacturing and warehousing to um, healthcare, nursing, and um, and executives um, to bring to organizations that are, are looking for the best people to um, to come work for them. So that's what I would say Ronstadt USA is. Um, what I do here is I work with organizations typically in the Fortune 1000 to identify the right talent strategy uh, of how to build their organization and, and make them the most effective uh, they can be. And I, I think that has changed significantly over the last seven years um, to become a much more diversified strategy where it used to be I hired a full-time person or I hired a, t- a, a temporary employee and, um, and, and I used both of those strategies in silos and in separate and different ways. Um, but the way that the world is today is you need to look at all different types of resources to, uh, to get the work done and to be the most effective and efficient that you can be in the world. Okay. Well, that's so helpful. Thank you for orienting a bit. So you have one of the most fascinating potential vantage points, you know, I'd say in terms of the world of work and jobs and employment and the whole marketplace, how that's going on. When we were chatting previously, you were getting me so excited just about the lay of the land right now and how it's an employee's market could you elaborate a little bit about that and some of the most striking trends that you're observing, you know, these days here in 2017? Absolutely. So, I, I mean, there's a lot of different trends that are are transforming the way work gets done. Um, and I'll take a step back to to just share what I think the biggest challenge is. So, if anybody's ever going to look for a new position or um, make a career change or, or just enter the market in the first place, I'd always want them to be aware of what is uh, most organizations' uh, primary challenge that they face today, which is um, the cost of uh, resources, human capital, is going up somewhere between 5 to 7% a year. And so most companies, their number one uh, uh, cost in terms of a line item in their budget is is their people, and that cost goes up every year because of annual increases or healthcare or, or other benefits. Um, somewhere around you know five to eleven percent a year, and um, and so what that means is most companies can't pass that type of a cost increase down to their customers, so they need to become more efficient with the people that they have. And they need to become more efficient as they grow because the growth, the, the goal of most organizations is to grow. And so anybody that can help contribute to that uh, efficiency in what they do for the company um, has a very valuable um, place in that organization. But that wasn't necessarily your question. Your question was what's facing the marketplace. So um, since, the, since the, the labor market has really been measured um, there's three measurements that really kind of guide where we are from a supply and demand perspective within within uh, employment. Uh, the first is uh, how many new jobs are being created every month. 
um, how many people are being hired into jobs every month, and then what is the quit rate um, uh, that month, meaning how many people are choosing to leave their position without um, being asked to leave or um, suffering some sort of larger reduction in force or, um, or downsizing. So and because month to month, unemployment is really impacted by those three things. So um, for the first time in history, since all those metrics have been tracked, you now have a situation where there are more new job openings every month than there are new hires, which means the amount of new hires um, is no longer uh, exceeding the new job openings. So new job openings continue to grow every month and that gap is getting larger. And as that gap gets larger, it's more unsustainable. And at the same time, also contributing to that trend, more and more people are choosing to quit their job, either A, because they're retiring from the workforce, or B, they're unhappy with what they're doing and there's so much opportunity that's out there that they're getting another job and they're choosing to leave the one they have, which adds to another job opening, which creates this, this ever-widening gap between the number of um, positions that get filled and the number of positions that get opened every month in the country. And just how dramatic, you said this is the first time in history that we've observed this, so that sounds striking. And so how big is that gap? Um, you know, so what I can say is I don't, I don't know the exact number. Um, and, and throughout 2016, you saw this kind of ebb and flow where for the first time <clears throat> there was more um, new job openings than there were uh, new job hires. But then it would kind of dip back down where the two would cross over and it, it went back and forth throughout the year. Um, since January of this year, it has always been more new job openings than new job hires. And every month the gap continues to get wider. Wow. So the implication there is if you are a talented professional, you got options. Uh, yeah. So for the, the general economy, right. And, and for whoever chooses to believe the, the national unemployment figure is somewhere around four to four and a half percent depends on what, what, uh, research you look at. Um, but for a college educated, uh, individual, I would say it's less than 1%. Uh, if you're in a, a STEM field, any sort of science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, um, it is probably as close to 0% as you could get, um, before, you know, actually registering a significant amount of the population. Hot dog. Okay. So that's where it is. It's, so that is largely segmented, I guess, based on, you know, the four, four and a half percent number looks very different based on if we're talking about having college degrees and whatnot. So are the headlines that we've seen about folks graduating from great schools and having a heck of a time finding a job, is that kind of behind us or is there another kind of wrinkle or sub segment to mention there with that story? Well, yeah, I mean, there's always wrinkles or, or, um, I would say exceptions, uh, because what I do find is that the entry level job uh, is not as available as it was before. So okay. if you're graduating with a uh, a major that isn't in the sciences, so maybe a liberal arts degree and you didn't do any internships and you haven't really worked or been a part of any clubs, 
uh, you're going to struggle to find a, a uh, decently paying uh, entry-level position um, because the fact of the matter is, is a lot of that work has been automated away. You know, I've got um, technology that can uh, schedule meetings in my calendar and remind me to do things. So I don't need an assistant, even as a senior vice president, where 15 years ago, I probably had an assistant to do all that stuff for me. Right. So individuals that are graduating, maybe not, may not have the opportunity to get into a, you know, middle management, $50,000 a year job, but they certainly have enough opportunities to go to work. Okay. Understood. And I separated the two, uh, the college degree and the STEM workforce, because I want to make it very clear, individuals that have a STEM background. So if you're a coder or, you know, somebody who has a, a mechanical background from, uh, from the military, you might not have a college degree. Um, but again, you're, you're probably as close to 0% unemployment as it gets with that skill set and expertise versus the college degree. And that is something totally different. Okay. So that helps orient things. Thank you. So then now you mentioned something striking in our previous conversation was that you feel pretty comfortable just kind of moseying over to your boss and saying, hey, you know what? I'm getting kind of bored here looking for some different sorts of challenges. So I guess I'm going to look elsewhere unless you got some new kind of opportunities in this direction. You shared that with me and said you've given that advice to others. And I found that striking, like, whoa, that could take some cojones. <laughs> it's like, that might not play so well. But you're saying that's kind of where the marketplace is, that you have a great deal of assuredness. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, there, there's certainly the appropriate way to have conversations in that <laughs> regard. But I think that the real... Uh, listen, I've been with this organization for 11 years. And in that 11 years, I've had what I would probably consider nine different jobs. Um, and the company has grown and changed in such a dynamic way that it's allowed me to do that. Um, but I always want to have an upfront agreement or an upfront contract, if you will, with anybody that's leading me to say, um, I'm going to give you a hundred percent of what I got. Cause I, I don't think that it's, you know, I don't believe in the whole, I'm going to give you a hundred to 110, 120%. I'm going to give you a hundred percent of what I got, which is a lot. Um, but when I feel like I'm in a place where I'm not as satisfied with the work or, you know, I'm just not as motivated instead of me starting to give you 75 or 80% of what I got, why don't I just come talk to you about that and see if there's something else that I should be doing? All right. Sounds very reasonable. And in fact, superior for the person who's in the position of leading you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it to me, it's an empowerment thing for my leader to know exactly where I'm at. So they know they can always expect the most out of me. And if I, if they don't get that and I didn't bring it up first, well, then shame, that's my fault. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then I got what's coming to me. All right. Okay. Fair enough. And so then I guess underlying that then it seems to be like a fundamental belief or expectation that there are good and worthy and suitable opportunities all around you. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, uh, I hope that I can stay in the same field for, uh, as long as I live because 
um, the one thing that I can always count on is that as much as technology grows and uh, we get to be more of a global, uh, you know, culture, uh, you're always going to need people. You're going to need people that can make the right decisions, that can take the technology and innovations and apply it in the right ways. And that's not an easy thing to do um, in, in this day and age, because what I see is information overload. So I've got so much more information to look at whether it's through social media or the types of assessments that I can put people through. Um, and so even if I can get the right person, well, then I've got all these things that, you know, I've got to look at to ensure that I've got a way to um, identify that person again or, you know, verify that I have the right person. And so what I'm doing and what, what I know is going to be available to me no matter where I sit is, is just that, being able to orchestrate helping individuals find the right organizations and organizations find the right individuals. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then I'd like to get your take then. So other than having a STEM background, what are some key things professionals can do to be in just a fantastic position to be able to be pretty candid with their bosses about where they're sitting and to have just a cornucopia of options open to them? And like, what are sort of the keys to the kingdom here of all this opportunity? Well, I, I mean, for individuals, I think everybody has the ability to, first of all, be very clear about what they want and what they want um, in their career and uh, from their leadership and, and from themselves. So, you know, if I'm somebody who's out there and I'm looking for opportunity and, uh, you know, Josh Vesley walks up to me and says, well, great, what do you want? And I can't clearly articulate that in the first 30 seconds of answering the question, um, then I've got some homework to do. Um, but once I understand what I want, um, then the first thing I would do is I would evangelize that. I would tell my friends, I would tell my boss, I would tell my significant other, and, and I would just talk about it all the time. Um, and, and I would understand what others have done to, to achieve that or to get to that specific role. Um, and, and I think just doing those three things and being clear evangelizing it and studying others that have done something similar, uh, the, the answers will become apparent. And, and um, if they don't, then maybe you got to go back to step one and, and be a little bit more clear about what you want. Okay. Well, that sounds pretty simple and straightforward in terms of getting that clarity. And so maybe can you share you know, what might be some hangups in terms of why do folks, do you think, linger in the, well, you know, I'm not really quite sure. It might be this, it might be that. What do you think holds folks back from arriving at that clarity with quickness and precision? Besides self-doubt, mm. um, I don't know if most individuals, because this is what I do for a living, right? But I don't know if most individuals would log on to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and look at the JOLT report and really just see for themselves like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity and, and gosh, there's even more in engineering than there is in uh, data entry and, and, uh, and really take a proactive look, um, even if they're, you know, somewhat happy in their role, like, yeah, what, what is, uh, what's the company next door doing? Are they hiring? You know, what's going on in your local market? And so I think individuals' um, fear of just exploring 
general opportunities is a lot of times what holds them back because it seems like a lot until you start doing uh, a few of the simple things to, to just gain insights around what opportunities lie around you. Oh, perfect. When you say it seems like a lot, you mean there's a bit of a self-doubt or sense of overwhelm, like, oh, how could I figure it out? There's so many things out there. And you're saying, no, no, just take a couple steps, you know, click around and see what you see. And bit by bit, you'll get that insight. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really don't see that being as much of a challenge anymore with uh, what I would probably say is the, the the younger Gen X, certainly the millennials, and now we have Gen Z coming into the, the workforce population because what used to be a standard tenure uh, or a career at an organization and, you know, might be 15, 20 years uh, in the last 10 years, that's become more like five to seven um, and I think now we're starting to see a trend of, you know, three years is typically the, the standard length of time that somebody's staying in a role, um, either before that role goes away because you just don't, you don't need that person or that, that, uh, um, that type of worker in the organization anymore, or that individual has chosen to leave to go on to their, their next thing. Okay. Understood. Well, now I'd like to switch gears a little bit and hear just about the world of working with recruiters. You know this game exceptionally well. So could you maybe orient folks who have never considered working with a recruiter to, you know, what's the advantages? Like why go with the middleman, middlewoman when you could take the direct route? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as cliche and, and um, you know, corny as it, it might sound, I, I would just simply say, uh, and a recruiter can be a corporate recruiter too, right? It has nothing to do with a uh, like an agency recruiter versus uh, a recruiter at, at an organization, but it's it's about who you know uh, more than what you know. I I I firmly believe that um, most organizations that blindly post um, positions to their career site um, get more than enough applicants. Um, but the validation of, you know, I know, uh, I know Josh and I trust Josh and Josh is telling me that, um, I should hire Pete. Okay. There's something to be said about the, the validation of Josh. Cause I know him, um, about Pete versus ah, Pete applied to this job and ah, he looks okay, but I don't really have any context around Pete. Um, so I would say, if you're going to work with a recruiter, make sure that they know the hiring manager that they're recruiting for or the organization that they're recruiting for very well. And that's, that's why you should work with them is because they know things about that organization um, that can help them sell you if they think you're a good fit for that company in that role. Okay. And so is it also true that at times working with a recruiter might even be a more direct route to getting an interview than applying right on the website or the job board or wherever the posting is. Yes. I, I think that, um, again, depending on the recruiter that you're working with, um, you know, individuals should continue to apply for as many opportunities as they think they are qualified for. And this is something I want to be very clear about. Um, so many times, we will actively use, you know, job advertising, job boards, and and um, 
and content marketing to, to get job um, to get uh, jobs out to individuals to apply to. But a lot of times people will apply to things that they're just totally unqualified for. And they'll say, but if you just, just give me the interview, I can convince you that I'm the greatest, you know, clinical research scientist you've ever met. Um, but yes, I've only done real estate my entire life. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, no, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so the reason why I say that and the reason I'll validate your statement of it being a more direct route is because the recruiter is going to validate that person. And sometimes that, that means saying no to them or saying you're not qualified for this position. Right. So I, I think that's, that's the case where many individuals want to, they want to be in that role, but they're just not ready for it or they're not, they're not, that's not right, the right role for them. Okay. Understood. Well, so you mentioned it when it comes to working with recruiters, one thing you'd love for them to know is just the hiring manager that is applicable for the position you're after, the company you like. So what are some other things we should know about finding the appropriate recruiters and working with them effectively? So I think in our organization, at least, you have to know the skill set that you're working with. So we specifically have experts that are only dedicated towards um, life sciences and, and uh, the industry of, uh, of clinical research and, and uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, so they could tell very, very easily um, the story of the individual uh, with that industry and with that skill set uh, framed up very concisely for organizations to see and, uh, and then bring into their, their process. Same thing with uh, technologies and, and being able to articulate somebody's experience with both a, uh, a behavioral and a technical um, write-up. Um, so I think that's, that's the one thing that really sticks out to me with a good recruiter is they know the organization they're recruiting for. They also know the skill set very well, and, and they can respond to questions of um, similar types of, uh, of roles and individuals they've placed um, that would be comparable to what you're looking for. Okay. So those are some telltale signs that we've got a winner, you know, when we're talking with them. How do we find them in the first place? Oh, gosh. I don't know if there's any shortage of, uh, of recruiters out there. I mean, <laughs> just, just to be clear, you know, there's close to almost 18,000 staffing firms out there in, in this country. So, uh, I mean, start with... Uh, <laughs> Start with your own network. I mean, if you're somebody who's on Facebook and you haven't talked to your high school friends in a long time, uh, somebody is probably a recruiter. Uh, so I'd start with who you know. Um, and, and even if they don't, they're not directly in the industry, um, asking other individuals where they've had a great experience, um, working with recruiters will, will typically give you back a, a bunch of responses that uh, you can follow up on. Okay, certainly. So you're saying use your own network. There's not so much a directory or a resource or a landing page you'd point us to. Well, I mean, I'd say come to Ronstadt first and foremost. Oh, sure. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the the landing page is, is Google. I mean, you can go on and say, uh, you know, uh, recruiters in XYZ industry, and it could be literally anything like offshore oil and gas drilling. And there are firms that just specialize in that. Um, so, so research has become very simple in terms of finding out who to work for. And then you take 
the names of those companies and you go to websites like Kanunu or Glassdoor or Indeed and uh, and you can find out, you know, what are people saying about these companies and, and uh, you know, what are their experiences in working with them? So you, you don't have to do a whole lot of, uh, of digging around to find out who are the companies and, and what are people saying about them and, and uh, you know, what, what are their ratings? Okay, sure thing. Well, so now, you know, I'd love to hear then, it sounds like a lot of the things you're saying are just sort of some practical, wise, common sense things we should do. I'd love it. Do you have any sort of secret strategies, tips, tricks, tactics when it comes to seeking out and finding great opportunities? Maybe some things that are overlooked by the typical job hunter? You know, I don't think it's a bad thing to go for, you know, what I would say is, you know, going for the no, like if you're if you are a certain way, if your behavior, your, your personality is a certain way and, you know, you get uh, really emotionally charged and, um, you know, you like to get excited about things and, and you're going to look for opportunities, I would say, you know, be very open and honest and, and almost blunt about who you are um, with your recruiter, with, with the, the organizations you're looking to, to work with. Um, because there's nothing worse than, you know, going into a role and going through a very long and lengthy process to, to meet a bunch of people and, and, uh, you know, have yourself kind of, uh, ask questions of over many rounds of, of, uh, interviews. And then you get in and you're like, man, I can't really be myself here. Right. Um, so I, I think that one of the things that you'll find, um, refreshing is if you're just yourself and, 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 um, every bit of your personality um, and you just network the hell out of that, uh, there's going to be a lot of organizations that get turned off and there's going to be a lot of organizations and people that are attracted to that because they're looking for that. Um, The other thing I would say to most individuals is don't consider um, just a a traditional job. I I think the biggest shift we've seen in the last um, few years is that you can be um, you can be an independent contractor. You know, you can set up your own business and just consult. You can um, be a freelancer and just do you know odds and ends types of projects. Uh, you can certainly be a, a, a contractor or a temporary employee, uh, and you can be a full time employee. So I mean, there's all these different options and avenues to to go work for organizations that. It's not like you need to go be a, a nine to five full-time employee and that's the only option you have open to you these days. It's, it's totally open to experimentation. That's cool. That's cool. Well, Josh, I want to make sure while I've got you here, I want to tackle a very tricky question that shows up in the recruiting cycle. And it seems like there's conflicting opinions and much consternation on it. So I want to get your pro take on it. If someone is applying for a job and they're going through the application and or some of the preliminary early stage interviews and they hit that question, oh, what's your current salary or what is the optimal way to respond, particularly if you think, well, my current salary is inadequate and below what I should be making and that's why I'm looking for a change. How do you play that game? So this is on an application. It could be on an application or it could be a live conversation in the early stages of recruiting. Yeah. So uh, two different thoughts on that. I I think in an application, it's something to be discussed in an interview, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're at the very early stages of the process, 
um, then I think it's too early to have that discussion. And what I would probably ask that person to say is, you know, uh, I'm more than happy to answer that question when you feel like I'm the right fit for the position. Um, but if you don't mind me asking, there must be some sort of a range that, you know, you're looking to fill this position with. So if you don't mind, can you share that range just so, you know, before we move any further, I can tell you whether or not I'm comfortable um, within that range for what I'm looking for. Yeah, I like it. And it's very real. It's honest. So you're saying that in an application setting, that's, or I guess that would be the live conversation if you're expecting a response right there on the spot. Is that what you're envisioning the context there? Yeah. I mean, if you, well, you also have to be self-aware, right? So if you know you're at the high end of the spectrum for what you do, um, then there's also a part of me that says, uh, you know, listen, I, I know I'm at the high end of the spectrum for what I do, but before we get into numbers and then having that conversation. Um, but if it's something where you really don't know, like you don't know what, um, you know, maybe you're earlier in your career or you haven't done enough research on that organization, um, then, then I think of, of responding that, you know, it's just too early because you don't, first of all, you don't know enough about the organization to know whether or not it's a fit for you. And they certainly don't know enough for you because they're not making you a job offer at that point. Then I think putting it off, but at least getting some, some guardrails um, to make sure that everybody's on the same page and reducing what, you know, we might call mutual mystification is more than fair. Okay. I dig it. Well, Josh, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? You know, I I think individuals um, far and away are, are creating their own path. So, you know, I I don't find too many folks and, and some that are a little bit earlier in their career. Yes that are struggling to, uh, you know, really get outside of the, the traditional lines of um, employment and jobs and things like that. So I, I think as you are exploring opportunities um, in, in your career and wondering kind of what's possible, um, you know, having discussions with, uh, with different folks that are in the same field, but maybe in a in a different, uh, context or, or relationship from a, an employment perspective. So if you're a full-time employee, you're thinking about consulting, go talk to a bunch of consultants, or if you're a consultant, you're thinking about full-time role, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, avenues to go have open, honest, uh, communication. And there's so much information that's just available, whether it's, uh, again, on, on, uh, you know, employer rating sites or, um, or, or even just information that's available from, from salary uh, websites and information um, that people have this great ability to go out there and explore. So I just, I advocate that a lot. Okay, thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? <laughs> well, you know, Joe Madden became general manager for the Cubs a few years ago. And, and uh, one of the, the great things that he said is, you know, we're just going to do simple better. Um, he also said, um, try not to suck. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think those two go hand in hand because, um, you know, a lot of the times it's just, we, we just overcomplicate everything because there's so much information and there's so much technology and, um, things that we could do, uh, or decision points that we could, we could change. 
And it's like, well, you know, I'm just going to give it my best shot. And um, if I don't suck, then I feel okay about it. And, uh, you know, hopefully through that process, I can make it really simple for somebody to work with me, for me, um, or, or lead me. And, uh, and that would be kind of my ultimate goal uh, every day when I lay my head down at, at the end of the night. All right. And how about a favorite book? Yeah, I'm all over the place with, with books. I, I love to actually just listen to, um, to books on, on Audible because uh, I travel a lot and it's just easier for me to, to plug in some headphones and, and listen. Uh, there's a really good uh, book uh, called Mindset that, uh, that I read not too long ago. So I'd say that it's not necessarily my favorite, but it's a recent favorite of mine. Oh, absolutely. It's a powerful one. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours? Oh gosh, I, I'm not good with habits. You know, I, I I tend to wake up early and go to bed late, but I don't know if that's a habit that I want to necessarily uh, advocate to others. Um, there, there's another uh, there's another uh, fairly significant uh, you know marketing leader out there, Gary V. I, I'm sure you've heard of Gary V. before, right? Uh, but you know, he he always talks about you know winning the genetic lottery and being born. Uh, you know, a human being and, and in the U.S. And, and the fact that, you know, at some point we're all going to die. And so I think, you know, mine is just getting as many hours in the day and, and being alive during those hours as possible. But, um, you know, I, I try to work out sometimes. I try to, you know, read as, as much as I can and, and just be engaged with folks. But uh, I'm probably not as habitual about those things as I am just, uh, you know, spending as much hours awake as I can and, and, uh, being alive. Okay. And is there a particular nugget that you share any articulation of one of your messages or beliefs or tidbits that really seems to resonate with folks that they nod their heads, they take notes at Josh's brilliance? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, um, being something I've, I've learned, um, the hard way and I'm by no means an expert in is, um, is the ability to just take a step back and, and say, uh, you know, I don't know everything. And, and, um, the power of a network, um, is, uh, is incredibly important, not from the perspective of being able to lean on others to, to make connections and, and accomplish things. But, um, from a knowledge standpoint, it's just, it's too much in this day and age for a leader of any level to try to know everything. So I really try to surround myself or be connected to those that, um, that know more than I do in, in certain areas. So I don't have to. And, um, and I think individuals that try to, to be the master of everything end up being the master of nothing. So, um, you know, I, I encourage people to really take a look at their networks, grow them, but grow them in the areas that they're they're weakest, so they don't feel like they have to uh, improve in something that's going to be a really long, hard haul for them to uh, to improve in. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I'd point them to to LinkedIn to connect with me. Um, and uh, and if that doesn't work for whatever reason, I would say. Uh, you know, reach out to any local Ronstadt office and ask them to connect you with Josh Vesson. Okay. Or do you have a final call to action or challenge for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Don't be afraid to leave something that you hate doing. I think um, 
people have have a fear of of leaping uh, from something that feels comfortable because of the unknown. Um, but quickly, you will find that the unknown is, is very um, can be very clearly understood uh, if you do some research, if you do some some uh, some outreach, and uh, a little bit of comfort should go a long way because uh, th- there's too much opportunity out there for folks to um, to try to, to to accomplish things, uh, and, and people are needed everywhere for you to. Um, settle for something that just doesn't make you happy. All right. Well, Josh, thank you so much for this. Fantastic perspectives. Much appreciated. Good luck with all you're up to. Pete, thanks so much and uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. What I loved most from this conversation with Josh is just the data-driven underlying support for the notion that opportunities are abundant. And so there's really... Not a whole lot of good reason or excuse, should I say, to entertain these ideas of fearfulness or scarcity that you really got to sort of toe the line and deal with a job that you don't like or opportunities that are just not quite right or are a toxic environment. Like odds are you don't unless there's some exceptionally challenging circumstances that are affecting you in a given moment. And hopefully odds are still that that is a temporary move and you can already start formulating your exit strategy and approach. So opportunities are much more abundant than perhaps uh, we're aware of. And thusly, it is well worth it to explore and to go after what you want to go do. And so I think that's encouraging, optimistic, good news from Josh with a lot of good numbers supporting it. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we referenced here, That's back at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep189. And I hope you'll push subscribe so you'll hear from folks like our next guest. It's Jody Glickman. She's talking about the gift of good communication, how it's done well and masterfully in the small and big things. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.